Six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs. Talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Aaron Mauer, outside the box thinker, here to teach each and every teacher how to tinker. Living on the edge of chaos, going insane. Listening to coffee chugs like caffeine for the brain. One of the top teachers in Iowa, word is born. Here to show the world that there's more here than corn. Chaos. Hello, everyone. This is Coffee Chug. I'd like to welcome you to Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. This is Season 3, Episode 2, and this episode is a special episode. I get to interview and have a great conversation with a wonderful friend of mine and also one of my education heroes, as cheesy as that sounds, Ginger Lumen. And in this episode, we're going to cover and talk about her book, Life Learning Practices, which is really about project-based learning, but even more than that, quality teaching practice and instruction And what can we do to really help our students be successful in life? This was a great episode, a lot of food for thought, things you'll nod your head with, maybe things you'll disagree with. Uh, Regardless of any of that, we'd love for you to leave feedback and comments and questions because that's what it's all about. Through engagement of conversation and, and thinking through these things is how we improve. So without further ado, let's jump into this episode. We decided to play the entire thing, so it's longer than normal, but it's worth every second of your time. So get comfortable, here we go. This is Coffee Chug, and welcome to the next episode of Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast, the podcast that is here to design to challenge and push the status quo of education in terms of what's happening around the nation and around the world. I am here with someone who I can truly call a friend, and also someone who over time has pushed my thinking on teaching and learning and everything more than, than anyone else, and um um, it started way back several years ago. I always think back to a gifted conference and uh, where I gave a presentation. It was my first big presentation on passion, and she completely disarmed me in a pretty awesome, professional, friendly way. And from that point on, I knew that I had someone that I couldn't lose sight of uh, for the honesty. Um, so, Ginger, for those who don't know you, um, who are you and uh, what do you do? My name is Ginger Lumen, and I am, uh, I guess, an education consultant and keynoter. Uh, for a nonprofit educational service center that's based in Hutchinson, Kansas, called ESVAC. So, I guess that's a fancy way to say I teach teachers. Awesome. <laughs> and what we're here today to talk about for this podcast, to jump right into it, is really take a look at project-based learning, um, but not really the the, the candy-coated project-based learning. I think there, there there's a lot of maybe misconceptions and misunderstanding when, when we use the word project-based learning. I think there's like most acronyms in education, there seems to be about 30 different definitions of what exactly project-based learning is. Um, and, and Ginger has done a lot with that, and she recently um, has pushed out a book on project-based learning uh, that was a, a great read for me. Um, and so if we could jump into it, I mean, if you could give a 30-second elevator pitch on what project-based learning is, I'm putting you on the spot here, I know. How would you define or explain project-based learning? 
Well, I'm pretty sure I could do it in less than 30 seconds. Um, Even better. But I, I think there's a lot of ways to do project-based learning right. I think there's a lot of gurus out in the world who like to say, no, this is the one way. This is the best possible standard level of how it should be done. And I, I think that uh, closes the door on flexibility for who our kids are and who we are as teachers in that space. So I like to think that project there's many multiple right ways to do project-based learning. But at its root, when is the learning occurring? Are you learning something and then doing something to show what you've learned? That's project learning. It's doing projects. <laughs> but if you want to do project-based learning, you uh, have a question or a challenge or, or something delicious that the kids just say, what? I can't wait to get into this. That's project-based learning. So in the process of answering that question or challenge, they're learning by doing. Learning by doing or learning and then doing. We want them learning by doing. Awesome. And so if we flip that, that same question on its head a little bit, one of the things when I, when I was reading your book, and I know that um, it was designed for those people who are just getting their feet wet with project-based learning, kind of figure out what it's all about. But, but one of the things that I kept trying to – I was reading between the lines a little bit, and maybe it's just because I'm lucky enough, enough to know you a little bit. What, what do you think are, are some of those the, the common misunderstandings about PBL? So if we're going to define what it is, but what are the, the misunderstandings you've been through? You've, you've had the luxury of going to a lot of places, working with a ton of amazing teachers and schools and, and conferences and everything else. But what is it that you think, man, it's, it, this, this idea is out there or these ideas are out there that are just not right or maybe it's just they're off a little bit? I think a lot of the ideas that I hear out in the world are, are – are one, well-intentioned, two, rooted in a good, strong base, but three, communicated poorly. Uh, and so some of the things, uh, if you let kids do project-based learning, uh, they'll they'll jump in and they'll dive in and do uh, all the great work, and they, they can't wait to keep going. Uh, and, and, you know, that's just not exactly true. Because at first, our kids are spending a whole lot of time unlearning bad habits that they've had years of training in all through school. <laughs> the older they are, the more resistance they give to us. Uh, and and project-based learning actually asks kids to begin to take responsibility for themselves, for their learning, their materials, their timeline, the holy moly, all the things that teachers have always taken <laughs> and parents have taken yeah. control of yes. for their whole lives. So to say, kids, what do you want to learn? They're still like, nothing. <laughs> How do we walk them into the perfect uh, world of, hey, kids, what do you want to learn? Yeah. Well, I want to learn this, this, and this. And I think that at first, both for the brand new teacher and for the brand new kid to PBL, it's got to smell a little bit more like school than maybe what some of the gurus tell us. Mm. And, and it's okay. Right. Uh, but we don't stop there. You know, if, if we have to do a project where, where the kids are actually talking about Pompeii and Vesuvius and the kids are like, I don't Okay, it's fine. But the teacher has to see that the learning is occurring that she needs to have done. Two, the parents need to see that school is kind of, you know, like school. We're not totally flipping on its head. Mm. Uh, and the kids need to be able to see that as well. But yet still practice choice, voice, freedom, and, and, and a new type of interacting with what learning is rather than just school. So that's a, that's a, big, that's a big thing that I struggle with people. The other thing is that um, all kids... This is a traditional school misunderstanding, I guess. All kids need to learn all the same thing at the same time. And then the PBL gurus come and say, no, no, they don't. They can learn if we just have a lot of fun doing projects. Hmm. Um, no, they don't. <laughs> because, again, <laughs> see response number one. Right. Kids have no idea how to learn because they've never had the opportunity to be learners. Hmm. We've told them how to be students, not learners. Um, 
And then I guess the, so the idea that we can just let kids go and they'll learn all they need to. Uh, I love working with brand new teachers because they push back hard and say, I don't think they can. I said, I think you're right. They right. can't. <laughs> so how do we get to move into that mm. and then slowly release them into the, the wild of freedom of learning? Yeah. And, and that's always a good, tasty conversation. That Let's is. see what's another big section. Uh, everything has to be authentic and real-world based. So if I have anything that smells like school, it's not PBL. I need to go out there and save the world with every single project or it's not PBL. And I don't think that's true. I think that uh, we want them to get there because that's what they're going to face in their real lives. That's why we call the book Life Practice PBL. Because if we want our kids to be uh, ready for real life, they got to be practicing real life right now. So... But again, at first, it's hard to get our content that is so schoolified mm -hmm. into that open concept of saving the world, especially for a teacher who hasn't thought this way before. They've just been taught how to regurgitate their, their content. So um, no, I'm going to say that authenticity, if I want to have some authenticity, especially at first, they may be doing something that smells like school, but what they are doing is learning how to actually work together or using tools uh, to connect with other people, other learners, learn how to reach out to somebody beyond their teacher, learn how to research where it's high quality, not the crap that you found on fill in the partisan uh, website <laughs> of your choice. Right, you know? right, and, uh, right, yeah. And to yeah. me, that's authentic learning. Yeah. So those two are some really big concepts that I hear coming down from people about what PBL has to be. And, and I'm not so sure I just, I'm not so sure I agree. I like that. So I think one of the key things, you know, what, what you're talking about is we don't have to jump off the cliff and go knee deep and, and you know, and figure it all out and all, all in one plunge. You know, there's a quote you have in your book. There's a couple of them that were just like, like the wow ideas in my mind. And um, you, you say here, and it really, I think, kind of summarizes what you've just shared. You put in there on, on one of your chapters that, um, talking about students that they're simply rough thoroughbred racehorses who've just, who have never seen a racetrack and certainly have never been asked to run a real race. And I think that's, that's really what you're getting at. We can't expect all of a sudden for these kids to go out and save the world and change the world and teachers too, if we've never prepped them for it. And so I like that idea of taking those baby steps, you know, however, if you are that educator and you do have the student voice built into the project and a student or a teacher has that niche and something connects where you can take it to that next level <laughs> by all means go um and, and i see that happen a lot um i've been able to get around and do some presentations and talk makerspace and pbl a little bit um and even we have it in our own school where it almost feels like if you don't have that like you haven't done a quality project and um that's a and i think i think teachers put that on themselves uh, where it's like oh you know i it's just if it looks like school, but to understand that that's okay. And I think that sometimes that pressure builds because you see, I mean, the things that get the attention of social media and the news and whatever, you know, whatever it might be, are not those ones that look and maybe smell like school, as you say. They're the ones that are bigger. And we think that if we don't have that, it's not good enough. And that, I, don't, I don't think that's true either. Well, we put those big things on the news because they are really cool. Right. And they usually have a whole ton of effort from both teacher and kids and admin and, you know, but, uh, and, and I love those big projects. I really do admire those. I've done some of those. Yep. But yep. I can't run my classroom like this all the time. And if I want my kids to really benefit, I mean, truly, deeply benefit from PBL, I'm going to run my classroom like this 100%. Right. As much as I possibly can. Right. 
one of those big, big projects. I can't run that 100% of the time. I will kill my children. <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And I believe that kids really want to learn. Mm -hmm. I think they want to go out there and do awesome, great things in the world. We've just numbed that in them through the process of schooling. And, and, and you know, people tell me all the time, well, a, a five-year-old can't learn that vocabulary. And I'm like, no, a five-year-old learn any word that you teach them. And I think that's true mm. for all of our kids, regardless of their ages. Yeah, they can yeah. learn how to do this. We just ask them. That's that. That's the concept. That's the root behind that thoroughbred. Yeah. Like every single kid is born to be a learner, but we we keep them away from that racetrack because it might be, I don't know, they might be dangerous or they might not do as well. And and then they turn eighteen and blah, there's your preakness. Go. Right. 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 <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Too many kids fall over on the track you know yeah and it's terrible uh i think that we can we can train them <laughs> to stick with the horse analogy to right the horses obviously yeah uh, but we, we can walk them into uh, doing what they have to by the way i know nothing about horses you pretty much run the whole gamut there <laughs> <horses>. hey <laughs> you sold it you, you you made it work so let me ask you uh, a two-pronged question that kind of goes along with, with what you're talking about here that we kind of build into, you know, if you have the big projects, great, but we don't necessarily have to jump there right away. Um, in your book, one of the ideas that, that really intrigued me um, was this idea of like these one-day projects, which is something, uh, even though we've been doing project-based learning for, geez, five years now, um, I've never thought of doing like a one-day, seven-hour type project. Uh, we know where you just kind of snag it. So um, I guess the question I have is, is is, is shorter better? Because you talk about hard and soft deadlines, and sometimes if, if the project it pushes out so long, it loses its momentum and it, you know the, the the pressure to get it done. Like, um, long story short, you know we are all human beings. We we procrastinate until that deadline looms, and then we go, holy cow, oh crap, we got to go. Um, and so I guess what I'm asking is shorter better and and what have you found um, to be effective with projects and I know every project's different there are some projects that need more time and some need shorter um, but if, if you're looking to push and get started and still do quality high-level learning what's that that look like to you golly okay that was um, more like a five-prong question it's, but it's a hard answer <laughs> uh, it's a hard question because Sometimes as beginners, we want to go slower so that we can have time to adjust on the fly. Um, sometimes we want to just have a quick in and out. I will say, you know, the one the one day seven hour project. Well, Jimmy, that doesn't work. I don't have kids for seven hours. It must be nice to. Well, here's the deal: do an in place field trip. Yeah. You know, like take your kids on a field trip, only you just go to the gym or the auditorium or whatever, and you have them all day and do this one awesome thing. And it costs you nothing like a regular field trip. Uh, and you're in, out, done. You can do it with as many teachers if you're on a team. That's awesome. Uh, but that's so intense. It's like um, I've never gotten into a pool, so I'm going to dive into the beach. Right. <laughs> swim, baby, swim. Yeah. So I don't always win at seven hours for a uh, needy. Okay. But that, that, that longer one works better. Uh, if, if you can take that seven hour one day and break it out into a week and a half. That's seven days, one hour at a time. Yeah, and, yeah. and your kids get processing time, you get processing time, and um, and you're still using the same amount of hours. It's just fewer days on the first option. Uh, but there's something to be said about you walk into, in, into school one day and, and, and just some hard work, and you're like, that was the fastest day, but I am so tired, says the kids, and the teachers. Yeah, yeah. And look what we have at the end of this. This was one day. 
and there's that sense of accomplishment like bah, bah, we got that back so the answer to me is um yes it's all of the above we should try any and all of those uh content matters age of kids responsibility of kids uh experience of teachers you know because mm. some may not have ever done pda before right but they've done things like odyssey the mind uh or they've they understand that all kids are different or yeah. they, they've just got great classroom management relationship skills. When I say classroom management, I mean relationships with kids. Uh, not classroom management is sit down and show up and I'm in charge. <laughs> oh, no, no, you can't do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so my answer is I don't have an answer. No, that's good. It's, again, it responds to the, the content, the teacher, yeah. and the kids. Well, yeah, because one of the things that when I was reading that at first, I was like, well, that would never work. Like one day, you need more time than that. And that is my first thought. And then I kept, I, I earmarked that page and I kept going back and I highlighted and scribbled. But now I think there's more of my writing than the actual of your own words. And I kept thinking like, it'd be such a cool kickoff. If you were a school that was somewhat established or, or at least you've had some teachers involved in it, where you could be, we, like at our school, we have a house system. So you have like your, all your, your core teachers are in a team or a house. And even if you had a new teacher, they could they could, they could mentor and almost kind of watch and guide you know, the teachers have been doing it for a while and those brand new. And you could just you could just hammer it out. And in one day, you could almost like get the kids ready. I almost see it like a boot camp of sorts. Like this is how we work together. This is how we collaborate. And there is a dead, the deadline is uh, the buses are coming at three o'clock. Um, so we got to get you out the door. Um, and so I, I I'm just I'm super intrigued by that. That was probably of that book outside of the key quotes and ideas, the one that I keep coming back to, like, I think there's a true power in there um, of what can be done in seven hours. And I think it'd be good for everyone, you know, the teachers and the students involved and just that open space. And here's a driving question. Let's roll. And let's just. Well, it's full immersion. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, and it's more than just, here's a driving question. It's here's a driving question. Now, how are we going to do this in that conversation? How would we? And how can we make sure that it's high quality? Because I think, again, too many PBL folks are like, here's a driving question, go. No. Right. <laughs> no, right. my children don't know how to think. If they knew how to think, wouldn't need to be in school. Yeah. So <laughs> that's why PBL is so awesome. And and I, I've known lots of schools. Now, when you first said here just now that that tripped you up, that kind of like, that, that, that sounds me for you because you're uh, you're experienced with PBL and I know who you are. Uh, I've done this with lots of kids, lots of different schools where we just said, "All right, you have me for one day. Let's do this thing." And we do some pre planning. You know, right. it's not like I just walk in and say, "All right, keep." Actually, we did that one time. <laughs> hey, hey, teachers, catch up. Here we go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was fun and horrible. It was just so tiring. Anyway. 160 K-4 kids in the gymnasium all day wow. with teachers wow. who had no clue and no pre-planning. I won't do that one again. Yeah. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I love that. You know, and that's a great idea as a beginning of the year boot camp, especially if you have kids who are anywhere near experienced with PBL. Right. It would be horrifying if you did it with kids um, who had never had experience. But you still could as a if you're not looking to shove in a lot of content this is more of an opportunity to say we're doing things differently at the school right. one two you're going to do things differently and three let's just have some fun getting to know each other yeah yeah uh, and that to me if you can accomplish that on the first week you know just one day on the first week or you know that's beautiful and i've done that with some schools too uh and that's uh teachers are always concerned because right, they're right. Saying, well, let me get our content well easy there you want to sink this ship with too much 
content at first. We're just we're just to get an introduction to it. Right. Um, yeah. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a really neat way to overwhelm and introduce. Yeah, you really <laughs> got to get that. I love it. Yeah, you got to you got to get the mind kind of ready, and, and, and the content will take care of itself if you get that mind kind of pumped and, and primed and ready to go. So if we look at projects, and I want to jump to the, the back end of projects here a little bit and also just to be, be cautious of time. One of the things that I think often gets crammed or cut out of a lot of projects because things tend to take longer than what we have anticipated is that end piece, that, re, that reflection end on, on that end. And you talk about, I really like the, the wows, hows, and bows. Um, um, so... Can you explain that a little bit? Obviously, I know the super answer would be get the book and read it and make sure the, the link to the book is in the notes. But but talk a little bit about that and why this this is so important because as I was reading that, I'm like, this is something that is so easy to cut out because all of a sudden there is that pressure for standards and the next unit and, and grades and the list, you know, throw a dart at the dartboard and, and there is a reason or a pressure to to cut this piece out. So one of the things I think we really want to make sure we're doing with PBL is pointing out explicitly the learning that we're doing. Uh, I think sometimes we go through a project and we expect that the kids will have picked up things, but they pick up stuff that they don't realize they have. It's totally, if you've done a great job, I mean, this Trojan horse is invisible. <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> and so we have to pause for a moment and talk about the, the celebration post-project wrap-up is where we talk about uh, what did we do well, what should we do better at, and it's teachers talking with other collaborating teachers, teachers talking with kids, kids giving good feedback gently, uh, and how we talk with the folks we might outside the school system to uh, have uh, collaborated with. Yeah. But in that process too, besides um, say structure or implementation, we wanna talk about the content. Hey kids, do you know, we mean this is what you learned. I mean, in school we call it this. You did this, but this is the name of it. Uh, so they understand that when they see that test or whatever, they're like, oh, and they can hang their hat on something authentic. But then the last piece is that social learning hmm. that we we can see they get. Yeah. Again, their kids, they don't see it. And so that how's, bows, and bows is, is an opportunity for them to, to look back at their teams. Uh, and they can look at the teacher, too. But to say, you know, how did we accomplish? How did you guys on that team, how did you... Oh, uh, wow, that was really interesting and exciting. And we do that during our soft deadline. Okay. But at the end, let's take a moment and say, wow, that was really amazing. And then the bows is my, one of my favorite parts. And it doesn't work really well at first, but we keep doing it because by the middle or end of the year, it changes kids' lives. And the bow is when I look at the kids on my, the rest of people on my team, the kids do, and say, stand up, kid. This person on my team took a bow because without you, we could not have done this. Mm. And at first, the kids pick their friends, and I love my friend, and they still ignore the boy or the girl picking their nose in the corner, whatever. Right. Or the kid who used to pick their nose eight years ago, but we still remember that kid. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That kid's just weird. <laughs> whatever. Especially in small towns, that seems to be true. Um, and, and eventually, though, if we do this enough, and we are running the full gamut of what project-based learning is and every single piece of project problem passion-based learning is about bringing kids together as a community. So I used to say to my kids, and I can't believe I didn't put it in the book, uh, but I said to my kids all the time that everybody is somebody else's weirdo. Did you mm. think you were normal? Because how weird is that? Right. <laughs> and so that was kind of a, it's a deep 
valuable yeah. for me. Yeah. And we're all weird and we just get over it and move forward. And what are our strengths? How do we maximize that? And if they're running that over a period of time, they eventually look at that kid and say, you rocked it, kid. And that kid's life changes. And I have seen it mm. over and over. I saw a kid just change right in front of me. Are you kidding me? Yeah. How do we not do that? Right, right. To where they recognize each other. We have to. I love it. And I think what, what, you, what you've touched upon here is something that's so important in project-based learning or any, throw in any acronym you want. What you're really talking about here is relationships, whether that's relationships from teacher to student or student to student. As much as, yes, there's so much pressure on standardized test scores and, and treating kids like numbers on a spreadsheet, and we all know deep down that that's not what school is about, but yet it's the pressure that so many people face. I mean, what you're talking about is relationships. And even through, through project-based learning, it's, it's exploring who we are as people, what our skills are, what, are, what we're able to contribute, whether that feels like and smells like school or feels like we're changing the world and making it happen. And those are moments that nobody ever forgets. And, you know, I mean, as you're talking about it, you're, you're, you're obviously thinking of, of kids. You probably have a whole list that, that gets you. It never goes away, you know, and that's why we're involved in education. Um, and I think, you know, your book titled Life Practice Learning, isn't that what it's about? It's, it's not about can I pass a multiple choice test. It's can I work with people and feel confident in who I am and have others acknowledge that when, when, when it's appropriate, not just fake gratitude, but holy cow, you did something amazing. Because even teachers don't want that. Even teachers want to be known, whether they want attention or not, to know that their work matters. Because we're human beings. We all want that. I mean, that's, we, we thrive off that. Um, and I think that's, that's so powerful. And that section, you know, it, it's so easy to cut that out. And yet it's probably the most powerful piece to bringing closure to everything. That self-awareness group awareness, cultural awareness. I mean, there's so much, and it's so easy to overlook it because it's not always linked to a standard. Well, it's seeing your own growth as a learner. Yes. I, I used to work with a person who's, uh, she, she edited all her kids' work before they had the final ending. And it was always beautiful. Mm. And when, I didn't do that with my kids. So when we pushed our work together, oh, there is something seriously wrong with my children. Yeah. And uh, turns out in a conversation one evening as we were continuing the next piece, she said, well, I'm not finished editing their videos. And I thought, what? How do they ever get to see improvement? Mm. And in that, how's rise and bows, that, that post-project uh, reflection, which is so, I mean, I'm busy. You know, time's coming. i got to get right. to the next project. And I was... Uh, as guilty as anyone of cutting that out. But it, when we do it, oh, it's so powerful. And, and you mentioned relationships. Of course, yes, it's absolutely about kid to kid, student, uh, kid to, to teacher. And, and But it's also so much about our, as both teachers and kids, our relationships to learning. Yes. To the content. Mm. To realizing we can do things without being told what to or to how to. That's, that, that's a big, big chunk of relationship, too. That's good. That's, uh, man, it's right there's the heart of, of what it's all about. You know, I mean, I think that's where, that's it. I mean, I, it's almost like it's the mic drop. If I, if I could drop my mic and afford to break it, I would drop it right now and we call, we call it good. Um, <laughs> I've got five mics in the Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so to wrap this up here, just to be, be respectful of your time, if we bring this to a close, 
And whether you're a veteran educator or school or district or you're brand new to this whole entire idea, um, and I throw you on the spot here, what are, what are two or three tips that you think are, are vital either to refresh your brain a little bit about life practice learning or project-based learning, you know, and to, to get going again, or if you're just brand new starting things to think about be, before you, you know, avoid maybe jumping off the cliff and, and, and trying to uh, save the world all at the same time. Well, that's that's not a, that's not a, that's not an easy one. I know, <laughs> I know. I'm challenging you. I'm, I'm going to push your, your thinking a little bit. I'm trying to return no, the favor no, no, no. from all your years of pushing my thinking. If we're going to re remarry, you know, share vow renewals again, or to get married to the concept of project based learning. I think we need to start with who are our kids and who's struggling and to really broaden that concept of just the ones beyond just passing tests, which by the way, life practice learning does not preclude multiple choice tests. You know, people say, well, if you, learn, if you learn this way, how are they going to be ready for college? Well, I want to prepare kids for the next four years of their five, 10 years of their life, however long it takes to right. get through college now. Cha-ching. Um, <laughs> you know, you're sitting there with what, how many, you got three kids? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah. <laughs> you got to get a new job that pays, man. I know. <laughs> you're telling me. Well, you're telling me. Um, I'm just saying that if we're ready, getting our kids ready for life, if their life does, future life does include college, it does include multiple choice tests, and we can include that as part of project-based learning. If, if you want to know, is that in the book too? I can't remember. If it's not, let's talk more about it later. Okay. Um, but so we need to think about who our kids are, who are the strugglers beyond just the ones we usually think are struggling. Mm. Uh, because I'm gonna, uh, my, uh, my passion is helping us review, relook at all our kids and notice who's uh, struggling. And pretty much everybody is in our current concept. And if they're not struggling, perhaps they should be. Now, I know a lot yep. of kids are getting straight A's who get out in the real world all flat on their faces. <laughs> <laughs> we all know those kids, right? So uh, they should be struggling too. So once we realize who they are, and let's really think about why they're struggling. And the route back to it, I'm going to say, is uh, in authenticity. Regardless of why they're struggling, there's something that's not hooking them into learning. Mm. And being a learner, not a student, a learner. And I think project-based learning answers a huge piece of that. I forgot the question. No. Um, so things I need to think about if I'm going to remarry PDL? Okay. Um, I think when we start to experience it, and I'm not saying you have to read the book, then Lord, last thing you want to do is read a chapter for you, Aaron, because you're a nerd, probably read it beginning of cover to cover, which, oh, Lord, to me, it's meant to be read like a reference book. So, right. okay, I need some help with groups, so get in and read that. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I'm not sure I would read it. Like, <laughs> oh, um, but uh, to get in and try some of the strategies that can be done in a good traditional classroom. Grouping. Let's rethink it. Right. Let's think about uh, what we do with presenting. And I'm not the only person in the world with PDL who says these sorts of things, but I might be the only one who makes it accessible for people who are brand new to getting into PDL. Right. I don't know that for certain. I don't know everybody out there, but I've 
I know I'm not alone, and I'm sure I've looked at folks who are doing smart things. I'm a researcher too, right? Yep. Um, I don't know. Am I getting close to answering your question? No, I think you're okay. good. Because I think, I mean, really what you're getting to is it's it's the basics of what I really believe of why we got an education in the first place. When when we decided to jump in education, earn our degree to be a teacher, you know, there, there's those reasons. I mean, I know it's the, the cliche, change the world, save kids' lives, make them feel important, all those things. And you kind of lose that spirit, I think, over time. I think it kind of just, the, the system kind of sucks it out of your soul with the pressures of data and spreadsheets and standardized tests. And I mean, it goes on and on and we can't avoid them. They're not that those things are, are evil. They're, they're just part of the job. I and mean, anything we do has a, a part of, a, of any job. There are things we don't like to do, but we can't lose sight of that. And I think the reminders that you're talking about, think of the kids as a learner, not just a student. I mean, really what, what, I, what I feel when you say that, I say you're looking at as a learner, a human being, a person, a, a person who has feelings and a brain and a pop, you know, and, and the ability to do amazing things. When we say student, where's that kid on the spreadsheet with conditional formatting? Are you a red, blue, green, yellow, whatever it might be? That's, you know, I think that's that mind shift there, um, you know, and I think that's the key. And, and project-based learning is, is one system that allows us to do that, allows kids to see what they're capable of, build that kind of growth mindset and that confidence and learn to work with people and do all those things at the same time, still be able to take care of standards. And so I think you're spot on. It's, it's, it's those soft skills. It's that relationship piece. And without that, none of this other stuff matters. Yeah. I keep, I, I've been recently using the term um, self-determination. I think kids right now have no opportunity to uh, make their own choices. I think we, uh, for, for right or wrong, regarding regarding age or responsibility or that sort of thing, we just say, here's your options, and might let them choose there. Um, is that a false sense of self-determination? I want them to be able to eventually be able to make choices for their direction in the world. Mm. And if they can't think, if they can't process through things, if they can't prioritize or manage things in time, I don't know how self-determination... I think that every person, every human being is born craving that, hmm. which is why kids misbehave at home, right? Yeah. Because they want to make their own decisions <laughs> in life. And some of those decisions are stupid. Yep. And we as caring adults say, no, you're not going to put that penny in the outlet. Right. That's right. stupid. Right. Uh, but some of those adults say, no, go ahead. It's not going to kill you. I yeah. Hope. I hope. <laughs> you know, um, I want them to learn how to... I want them to practice. I want them to be people who live through self-determination. Hmm. Yeah. There are a lot of things to think about with this. I am going to push you one moment. I know you're trying to wrap up here, but yep. you said that we became teachers because we want to help kids save the world, or we love kids. And I know, and you know, I think I think we've talked about this before. I think if we get down to the root, I think too many teachers might have gotten into education because they already knew school, or because they felt comfortable there. Yep. Um, now, not everybody. Some people got into it because they hated it. Yeah. I would like to get deeper because rarely do we choose to do things we hate. Right, right. But, uh, okay. Yeah. Well, uh, that's not you or me. There's other criminals out there. But yeah. um, I know that I didn't become an educator because I wanted to help kids. Uh, I became an educator because I knew school. Right. And I, I didn't want to take risks out in the real world. I needed a regular paycheck, and I know that teachers get those. Um, and it didn't. I didn't become a real teacher. I became a teacher on a paycheck. 
Mm. Didn't become a real teacher until about, I'd say, seven years into my career. Mm. When I realized that I had children in my classroom who were just like me, getting a grade. And I thought, oh my God, I'm going to kill you, child. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to save you. I'm going to do something because mm. what's happening right now is not acceptable. And, uh, and that's when my life changed. And I fell in love with helping kids become who they can be. And I think that's, that's important because I think what we, what, and it's not just, I, I don't think it just happens in with teachers. I think we see it in a lot of professions where people maybe jump into a family business and then they find out they're miserable. Or, I mean, you can, the list goes on and on. I think for teachers, you're right. School, school is easy or it was enjoyable. Um, so you become a teacher because you don't have to get outside your comfort zone. And then education, the learning, the students, they, they change, they adapt. Society has changed. I mean, look at, I mean, that's a whole other conversation of just how, how things have morphed and adapted. I mean, I look at my five-year-old who manipulates a phone like better than me and knows the tips and tricks and knows how to find her shows on YouTube or, you know, her shows are YouTube, not TV. Um, and, you know, to grandparents, she, she looks like a genius. No, that's just the world she lives in. For me, I looked like a genius when I could manipulate the two red buttons on an old Nintendo. The point being that as the things have changed and, and teachers stay in that comfort zone, that's why they got an education. And now we're asking them to do this type of, of learning and build this culture of, of classroom. That's outside their comfort zone. It's not that they're not capable, but that's not the world. That's not, not, not the track they've been on for much of their life. And I think as it's, it's easy if you're a big picture thinker to say, get going. But if that's not how you've been and you've been able to be, I'm going to call it successful, when that's maybe judgmental and debatable whether it's success or not of a classroom teacher without changing a whole lot, then now you're asked to do this. We have to be respectful that we have to empower them and educate them and help them move to that type of learning and teaching um, and not just say, do it or you're bad because that doesn't work either. And we know that with our own kids. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. By the way, I think you're going to get a lot of hate emails about this uh, this uh, thread right here that we're running on of teachers became it because they were because <laughs> it's comfortable. I've, I've, I've kind of run that out in public a few times and had people say that's not true, and then several of the folks had to push a little deeper and we found out it was true. Right. Uh, but right. <laughs> teachers they don't believe that they don't know that, and it's okay if they want to. I don't care why they start. Well, maybe I do, but. I don't care where they started, where they are right now is what matters. And most teachers I talk to want to make the world a better place. Right. Good. Let's do that. Right. Because you can. Right. You don't have to wait to be told what to and how to. Yes. Yeah. I, th yeah. I mean, I think the reasons of how you got into the classroom become irrelevant as long as you understand what it takes to have a classroom that allows the kids to be learners and to find who they are and to push their, their own thinking in, in new ways. And for however you got to that point, Great. And the job of everyone as a community involved in education is to continue to support and build and find the resources and the techniques and the strategies and ways to continue to empower everyone involved in the lives of the kids. And so I think that's where we got to keep, you know, that, that's where the focus is going to be. And you're right, you know, talking about comfort zones and getting into teaching is probably going to upset some people. But if that's not you, then don't let it upset you. But it is what it is. I mean, it's it's what we do i mean it's we see what their own kids in our classroom they want to do what's comfortable and when you push them they retreat why can't i just why can't i just take multiple choice tests why do i have to do this because i already know how to do that you know i've already gamed the system and we see it with with the kids and, and i mean it, the list goes on and on of where we can find these examples and so it's just helping
people be successful in life. Yeah. I'm glad that you reached out like this to do this podcast because I really did write that book really just to archive all the learning I had done in my own school where we started this. Uh, I had run it for five years and I knew I was going to be teaching teachers. So I just started like brain dump everything yeah. that I knew, everything that I believed in, everything that we did that was working. That's, I, I really wrote that in the book. And then, uh, and then uh, I continued dabbling with five years, five years that daggum book sat on my computer and Google Docs. <laughs> and, uh, and finally my boss one day said, Hey, I sold your book to like uh, to a school. They're going to get like 30 copies. So you should probably finish that in uh, the next week because it needs to go to the publisher. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and so I finished it. <laughs> hey. It's just been sitting there. There's that. Have some time yeah, yeah. There's that, there's that hard deadline. It's amazing what a hard deadline will do. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, but for you say that it's uh, as for somebody like you who's been doing you know, and then helping other teachers figure it out uh, as a pro- for you as a practitioner and a coach to say that there's things that make you say what and, and that you want to argue with good because yeah. we're thinking and feel free to tell me what I love it when people say I don't really agree with you on that and then we have a conversation and who knows you're probably right <laughs> uh, or, or not and, right. and it doesn't matter because we think and that's what matters the most and, but if you say that it's good for both beginners and advanced I'm, I'm excited yeah. No, there's a lot of great uh, nuggets in there in places where I think it's easy when anything becomes like a system, a machine, um, whether intentional or not, if you get going and you're, you get accustomed to a system that works for you, um, it's sometimes easy to gloss over other little things that could enhance. And, and the book brought to light a lot of those key things. And so um, once again, the book's right here, this Lessons for Life Practice Learning by the awesome uh, Ginger Lumen. The link will be in the show notes, and I encourage anyone listening, not that it's a, a book sale promotion, but it's definitely a book worthy of having in your collection. Whether you're practicing project-based learning or not, I don't, I don't get caught up in the acronyms. It's really about creating quality learning experiences for kids. Um, and Ginger, it's been a, a pleasure having you on the show. It's always great to talk with you. We always find ourselves down different paths and always find a way to bring it back together. At least in my mind, it does. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm good. It's good. Always fun to, to rub brains with you, man. I feel smarter every time. Awesome. Well, thank you so much.